expectant, Lord, that you will speak tonight. Lord, open our ears to hear your word. Open our minds to understand it. Open our hearts to receive it. And Lord, deepen our love for you so that with all of our hearts we will want to obey it. Amen. Well, I hope you've come tonight with an open and expectant heart, praying that you will know the presence of God here tonight and that God will speak to you. And we have um, a short time together tonight with our neighbours, with somebody who you didn't come with, to share together, um, turn and talk and I thought it would be good if we could just spend a few moments thinking and then sharing with one another perhaps a time when you particularly sensed the presence of God or a time when you particularly known God speaking to you. And I recognize in saying that that there may be some of us here who are saying right at this moment, well, I would love to have something to share about sensing the presence of God or knowing that God has spoken to me. And if that's you, just share the desire of your heart tonight because God will answer it. If that's you and you've come here tonight seeking a sense of God's presence, and wanting him to speak to you. Simply share that, but do feel free to share as much or as little as you'd like with somebody that you didn't come with. Said. We read in Samuel, 1, champ, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, about the call of Samuel. And it's quite an amusing story because Eli the priest is asleep um, Samuel is trying to get to sleep and keeps being woken up and rushes to Eli and says um, I heard you calling me what, what is it what do you want and Eli said I didn't call you um, 
go and lie down again and, and get back to sleep. And the second time, the Lord calls to Samuel again. And the same thing happens again. And on the third occasion, Eli realizes that it's the Lord that is calling Samuel and says, go back and lie down. And when the Lord speaks to you next time, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And it's amusing because so often in our prayers, we say, listen, Lord, for your servant is speaking. And God is here tonight to speak to us and to speak through us. And God is speaking into people's hearts already tonight and asking for a response. And as we pray together, can I just ask that if God is speaking into your heart tonight and asking for a response, don't let it take God three times to get through. And if God is speaking into your heart something that is for all of us, please come and say, please come up and tell me, and we can open our hearts to that and respond as the people of God. So let's pray together. Lord, we come into your presence to listen. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And Lord, as you speak into our hearts, may we respond and be transformed. I encourage you as we seek God together. If God has given you a word or a tongue or a prophecy, please speak it out. If God has spoken something into your heart, Respond to what God is speaking. <coughs> Come, Lord Jesus.
Somebody's um, come tonight bringing a very deeply wounded heart. And God wants to say to you, I know what you've been through, and I'm here tonight to heal you. Open your heart to me, and I will heal you. Lord, we pray for all tonight who are hurting, who are wounded, who are sick and suffering, especially those of our church family, those who are known to us. Lord, we pray for your healing love to surround them, for your hand to touch them, even as we meet Together now, in your name, we ask in the name of Jesus that you will bring comfort and healing. Lord, we pray for our nation and for our rulers at this time of turmoil and uncertainty. Lord, we pray that your spirit of wisdom will guide hearts and Lord that you will speak through those who have given their hearts to you Lord we pray for all the nations of the European Union Lord that wise counsels will prevail and for those who are fearful and anxious Lord May they turn to you. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we pray that you will continue to speak through the reading of your word and through Jit as he speaks to us. May we be open-hearted and respond. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. We have our reading, please. It's only a short reading tonight, so it would be really good if everyone could open their Bibles beside them but it will be up on the screen. It's uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, and can be found on page 1135 of the Church Bible. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us 
with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. This is the word of the Lord. Irina, thank you very much for that reading. Could I encourage you just to keep your Bibles open at that page? We're going to be digging into that in just a moment. For anyone that's new here, I think I can spot a couple of new faces. My name is Jit. I'm one of the ministers here. Great privilege tonight to be sharing God's word with us. And over the last few evenings, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit, uh, who he is, and especially over the last few Sundays, what he does. Shalati, what was that? Sorry. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I have no idea what she just said, but I'm sure it was profound. And tonight, we are looking especially at a certain topic that uh, is, is often a tough topic for some. And it's the issue of prayer. Sometimes prayer is hard, prayer is difficult. And this passage in Romans 8 is all about those times and how the Holy Spirit actually makes a big difference and can change that feeling. Before we dig into it, let me pray for us all. Lord, we do thank you for your word and we just pray now that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us to understand it. And not just to understand it, but to live by it. And living by it, we might know you better. We might experience new depths with you. And that we might see other people's lives transformed because of it. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. Come and speak by your speaking voice through your word afresh. Amen. Amen. Well... Romans chapter 8, many of you will know, is uh, one of the pinnacle chapters in the New Testament. People have often called it the Mount Everest of the New Testament because it's probably one of the highest places that there could be in terms of describing the reality of all that's going on because God has saved us and especially the reality of what life in the Spirit now looks like. That actually before... There was a time and a place where we didn't know God and there was just that sense of frustration. We were un under condemnation, we were under all kinds of things. But now, actually, the very first verse of Romans 8 says, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then Paul throughout this chapter just builds up and up and up. And we're kind of halfway up the ascent at the moment in this passage that we've just had read up. The pinnacle isn't quite there yet, speaking about Christ's love that will never be separated from us. We're kind of halfway up. So imagine yourself mountaineering, and that's where we are. But even halfway up, we can see wonderful things in this passage, and especially about this topic of prayer. And I've just got three really simple things that I want to share tonight with you. And the first from this passage is this, that prayer is difficult. Prayer is difficult. Verse 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for. Paul is trying to convey here that actually prayer can be really hard. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but who here has found prayer difficult in the last week? Okay, have a show of hands. (laughs) Or perhaps even in the past month, who here has found it at times difficult? It's honest in the word that actually prayer is difficult. This is why the disciples of Jesus asked him, seeing his prayer life, teach us how to pray. We see that you find it easy. What's the key? Because they knew that prayer was difficult. That sometimes it's not like just turning on a tap or talking to your best friend face to face. Sometimes it's a bit of a slog. Sometimes it's a hard thing to do. Martin Luther King once said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. But if that's true, then sometimes, I don't know about you, I feel like I'm suffocating because of the lack of my prayer life. And often this kind of struggle with prayer can lead to guilt. Someone's, uh, someone I know has once said that as soon as people hear the word prayer, they hear the word failure. That they just know straight away, I'm not doing this right, I'm not doing it enough, that it's not as it should be. And it's not just us, that some of the greatest Christian saints in the past centuries have found prayer to be a real struggle. I was uh, reading a story recently of Mother Teresa, who was a great prayer warrior as well as helping the sick and needy in the uh, slums of Calcutta. And she used to tell this story to just reassure people about her prayer life, that when she was a young nun in a convent, she had assigned periods of time, about an hour or so, where she had to pray for things. And she used to take a sand timer in with her. And when she went, uh, she turned it over and started praying. And she prayed and she prayed, and then she looked at the sand timer, and oh no, it's still not gone. And she said, I admit that I used to shake that sand timer, trying to get it to speed up. Even she, actually, saint that she was, she's just been made a saint, she really was a saint, found prayer difficult. And I'm aware that uh, many in church are told, you must pray. It's a very easy thing, especially to say from here at the front, but not many people hear this, that prayer is difficult. It really is. I've got a number of uh, books on prayer at home, a shelf full actually, and looking at them, I tried to find out if any of those books on prayer spoke about the difficulty of prayer, and guess what? Only one of them did, and not much on it at all. A lot of them were just triumphalistic and kind of, here's how you do it, here are the spiritual keys. Let's do it, let's go. Prayer makes a difference. This is how it makes a difference. Why aren't you praying? Actually, it didn't really deal with the reality that Paul describes here. And I just want to kick us off in a slightly unusual way by talking about why prayer is difficult, why it's different, why it can be for people. And from this passage, let me suggest a few reasons. Firstly, prayer is difficult because heaven isn't a place on earth. Now, many of you will know that cheesy 80s song by Belinda Carlisle, Heaven is a Place on Earth. Well, some of you won't because you're too young for it. Some of you won't because you're too old for it. Um, But the truth is that heaven is not a place on 
earth yet, yet. And this means that it can all feel very far away. Verse 26, Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And when he says in the same way, he's referring back to what's been going on further down the slope of this Mount Everest. And in the previous verses, verse 23, he says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption of sons. Paul's saying there that we've had a taste of heaven by the Spirit here on earth, but we're left longing for more. The taste isn't enough. We're left longing for more. And that's the context he writes this in, saying, in the same way. He's saying that it's the same problem. We've had a taste of it, but we haven't had the reality of it, that we're not there yet. Right now, on this side of things, there's a sense of disconnect. There is a distance still to be traversed. And that means prayer sometimes can be difficult and frustrating. One day it won't be. One day we're going to be speaking to Jesus face to face and prayer is going to be very easy. That's going to be glorious. But right now, right now it's not the case. Uh, My father happens to spend half the year in America sunning himself in Florida, actually. It's a tough life. And um, I try to speak to him regularly once a week over the phone, and I'm using an internet uh, program called Skype. Many of you will probably have used it. And it's an amazing program because it means that I can talk to him face-to-face and hear his voice in real time, but it's also really frustrating because the connection can be very variable, and sometimes he, he appears pixelated and scattered. Sometimes I don't get any picture at all. I get his voice. Sometimes I get his voice and no picture. Sometimes I get the picture and no voice. And it's really frustrating. Nothing makes up for the fact that when he's back here, I can talk to him face to face and have a proper conversation with him. And that's very much what goes on in prayer here on earth, that right now, sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's perfect, the clarity is pure, but sometimes things can be slightly astray. The connection isn't quite right. And that's okay. It's okay to admit that and say, okay, one day it's not going to be like this. But right now, we just have to live with it. It can be difficult. The second reason Paul seems to say about prayer being difficult is because we're ignorant, actually. He's very blunt here. He says, verse 26, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Prayer, in one sense, is the great humbler because in prayer, you realise that you don't know as much as you think and you're not as clever as you thought. I'm sorry to say this, but most people here won't be as clever as they think they are sometimes. I know I certainly am not, and often I'm brought up sharp about this. But actually, we don't know what to pray for. We don't know everything, Paul is saying here. We're not as clever as we think. Many of you will know the story of King Solomon in 1 Kings 9, and he has a dream at night, and the Lord visits him after he finishes making the temple and asks him, what would you want me to do for you? Ask me anything and I will do it for you. And you remember what he says. He says, please give me wisdom and a discerning heart to rightly rule your people. And God says, yes, because you said that and you asked that, I'm going to give that to you. And not just that, 
I'm going to give you riches and glory because you are something that was pleasing to me. And I've often asked the question to myself, I wonder what I would have said had I been in King Solomon's shoes. God had appeared to me at night and asked, you can ask anything of me. What would I ask for? And I can guarantee I would have asked for the wrong thing. I would have asked for the most pressing need in front of me. Or I would have asked some kind of holy platitude like world peace. We often don't know what to pray or how to pray as we should. And this inability is rooted in our limitations, not knowing the future like God does. It's almost like there's a jigsaw puzzle and we've got all the pieces, but we don't know the end picture. So it can be very difficult trying to piece it all together in prayer. It's a hard reality for some of us that we don't know what we should be praying for. And a third reason from this passage. Prayer can be difficult because life is tough. You don't need me to say that to you. Life can be tough. The context of this passage in Romans 8 is of Paul writing about future glory in the context of present suffering, that the two go together, that we don't get to experience a future glory yet. And until we do, there is present suffering. But he says, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth anything comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And writing in that context is the third reason why prayer can be difficult, because there's suffering that makes things difficult. That in the midst of tough times, in the midst of testing times, in the midst of chaotic times, trying to pray, well, it's the best thing to do, but it's also some of the hardest, one of the hardest things to do. In 1960, the great Christian writer and uh, evangelist, I would say, C.S. Lewis, lost his wife to cancer, his wife Joy. And uh, he entered into, according to his autobiography, a deep, deep depression. Uh, what the mystics might call the dark night of the soul because of this. And he started to find prayer very, very difficult. Beforehand, he prayed very easily. He'd written books on prayer. He'd spoken about prayer. But after this had happened, he found it very difficult. And in his book on his experience called A Grief Observed, he said this. What chokes every prayer and every hope is the memory of all the prayers that Joy and I offered and all the false hopes we had. Step by step, we were led up the garden path, time after time, when he seemed most gracious. He was really preparing the next torture. That's how he felt in the midst of it. And because he felt like that, he just found his prayer life dwindling. Thankfully, actually, he instead asked other people, I can't pray at the moment, but would you pray for me? And he just got lots of people to start praying for me. He just was aware that what had happened had made his prayer life very tough. Well, that's three reasons why prayer can be tough. And if you're here and you've found that, well, let me assure you, Scripture speaks on this. That it's not just you. It really isn't just you. It's interesting that in our passage, Paul says we do not know how to pray as we should. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is the Apostle Paul, the, the, probably one of the greatest apostles and saints of the Christian faith ever. 
And he includes himself in it. He doesn't say, your weakness, and because you don't know what to pray, he says, us and we. The great prayer warrior Paul said, I find prayer difficult. I include myself in it. The saying is true that the best of men are men at best, and even the best of men and women can find prayer difficult. Okay, well, that's uh, the first point, and that's quite a sombering point. It's not a very positive thing. But I felt I just should say that because we don't speak about it very often. But there's good news ahead. There is good news. Because the second thing from this passage is that prayer is possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is possible. Verse 26 again, he says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. It says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Instead of looking at the Greek word there for help, it's made up of three parts. The first part is to take hold of by the scruff of the neck. The next part is to do someone's part, to help them in their part. And the third part is to come along with them. And so it's this idea of to take hold of, to do that part, and to come alongside in the midst of it. It's almost as if Paul is saying, using this particular word, that the Spirit of God, when we pray, becomes our prayer partner. I don't know if anyone's here ever had a prayer partner, or a prayer triplet, or whatever you might call it. It's always great to pray with other people about things, because they have insights and understanding about your situation. And what Paul says here is that the Holy Spirit, in his help, does this exact thing. He comes alongside, he draws close, he grabs you by the scruff of the neck and helps you in the midst of it. Some of you might have uh, watched or seen recently the TV series Strictly Come Dancing. Anyone here watch this? Yeah. No need to hang your head in shame. I don't personally, but each to their own. And... uh, If you don't know what it is, it's about a ragtag bunch of male-coordinated celebrities who are partnered with experts in dance over a series of weeks. And they start off absolutely awful. They end up brilliant, actually. And they're taken through the steps, and every single week is a different type of dance, and then they get voted off because some of them actually don't do that well. And in the end, actually, some of these celebrities are at the same level as these dance experts, if you look at them. Well, I want to say that there's this very similar image as to how the Spirit helps us in prayer. It's a sense in which he partners with us. He is the expert in prayer. He knows how to pray. He's part of the Godhead himself. And he partners and says, look, you're awfully malcoordinated in prayer. You're going all over the place. But let me teach you. Let me lead you in this. Let me help you in this. Let me take you on a journey to learn how to pray. And that's exactly what he does. The passage also says how he does it. It says in verse 36, he intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And the question, of course, is what are these groans? It sounds a bit weird. Um, There's been a lot written on this. 
Many people have said that this is the gift of tongues. I tend to disagree with that because this seems to suggest that this is help for all people. But the Bible says the gift of tongues isn't given to all people. It's one of the gifts that is severally distributed. I think there's something else going on here personally. The translation we have doesn't quite do what's being said here justice. The new NIV, actually, which was released a few years ago, speaks about the fact that he groans with intercessions that are wordless groans. Wordless groans. But actually, they're not words that are spoken, but they're deep inner groans. And this connects through to previous verses where it speaks about the groaning of creation and the groaning of ourselves to be adopted as God's sons in glory. And that whole sense in which right now heaven isn't on earth and we're groaning for it and longing for it. And what the Spirit does is that he puts that inside of us, prayer burdens, prayer desires to see heaven come on earth. And he instructs us in them and he puts them on our heart. Sometimes they're very general inclinations to prayer that you just find yourself being led down. And you can't not go down that avenue. Sometimes, though, he can be very specific in those groanings that he rises up inside of us. Um, my clearest experience of this was a number of years ago now, actually. Um, I, I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was when I was a student, of all things. Very young. <laughs> and I was praying one night using my prayer journal, which was to write prayers in, which I can recommend is a good way of doing it. It helps. And I found myself very strongly needing to pray for my mother. And I'd already, I'd already said my prayers for my mother earlier in the day. I thought, why am I praying for my mother? What's going on? Okay, well, let's just write these things down and pray for her. And then suddenly it lifted and the burden lifted. I thought, okay, well, what was that? What was that? Then the next day, I get a phone call from my dad saying, last night your mum was involved in an accident. She was abroad and she was involved in a car crash and when she crashed, there was no one to help. But then suddenly, a stranger came along and helped her out of the car, tended to her, actually took her to the airport because she was on the way to a flight and got her on the flight and now she's back here with us and we've taken her to hospital. And I realized, oh, that, that's what it was. This is that. I didn't know at all. The Spirit of God did. He knew exactly what to well up inside of me to pray for the right time. It's the kind of thing he can do to help us in our prayers. I've not often experienced this because I think I'd experience it more if I listened more, as Steve was saying earlier about our listening. But he's willing to if we ask him. Oh, that was the second thing, that prayer is made possible by the Spirit. And the third thing, the last thing that I wanted to say from this passage, is that prayer is powerful in the power of the Spirit. The last verse, Paul says, He who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. It's an interesting verse to try and unpack, but what Paul's trying to say here is that God knows all things, including our human hearts. He knows them. He knows your very thoughts right now. If you're daydreaming, he knows exactly what your daydream is right now. 
And because he knows what you're thinking, he knows those inner prayers. And if the Spirit of God is leading you in prayer and helping you to pray, well, he hears that even if you haven't been able to express it. He hears the groans within. He hears the desires. And that because he hears them, and he hears the voice of the Spirit inside of us, all those prayers are really powerful because they're in accordance with his will, Paul is saying. You see, we can easily have very mixed motives in prayer. We can pray for things for all kinds of reasons. Some of them can be very wrong. The Apostle James says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I'm so glad, actually, that God hasn't answered every single one of my prayers because some of the things I've asked for, looking back, have just been about me and actually would have been dangerous for me. We actually, in our prayer life, can go all over the place. But when it's the Holy Spirit who's praying through us, well, that's God himself praying through us and leading us in prayer. And he always prays with the right motive with a pure motive, with actually what is pleasing to God. And that means that those types of prayers, well, God will always answer, because they're of him in the beginning. It's a great mystery that Paul's speaking to here. Somehow, God prays to God through us. We don't quite understand this, but in a sense, God hears the echo of his own voice, and he answers it. He puts a prayer burden in our heart and then answers it when we express it in return. This isn't some kind of split personality disorder. This is actually being drawn into the mystery of God himself. There's three persons and we get to be there in our prayer lives. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but um, I used to be, once upon a time, a physics teacher, that great and glorious physician. And um, one of the favourite things that I used to love teaching was about resonance. And resonance is a theory that every single object, even here in this room, will have a frequency that if you can apply sound wave to it at that frequency, it will cause it to violently react to it. Every single object, including those chairs, including that guitar just there. In fact, that guitar works on resonance. It's why, actually, soldiers aren't allowed to uh, keep step in their march over bridges because the resonant effect, they found, kept on destroying bridges. It's why, for example, an opera singer, you've probably seen a video of it, can hit the right note and shatter a crystal vase. It's that idea of resonance. It just hits the right frequency. And these prayers that the Holy Spirit wells up inside of us hit the exact right frequency of God's heart. They're of him in the first place. And so when we pray them, when we're led in this way, they have great, great power, more than you might expect. The great Victorian preacher C.H. Spurgeon once put it like this, the seed of acceptable devotions must come from heaven's storehouse. Only the prayer that comes from God can go to God we must shoot the Lord's arrows back to him. The desire which he writes upon our hearts will move his heart and bring down blessing. This probably explains why some people have been so effective in their prayer lives. 
and some people haven't. It isn't necessarily to do with them. It's to do with the person who is praying through them, the power of the Holy Spirit. And it probably explains why Elijah in the Old Testament was able to pray and the land didn't see rain for three years and then he was able to pray and overnight, just like that, rain was released. It explains why the early apostles were able to pray and they saw buildings shake and nations shake and thousands and millions come to Christ. Explains why uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, once said to the reformer John Knox, I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. Wouldn't you love that to be said about your prayer life? I fear that person's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. If we learn these things, we learn to allow the Holy Spirit to well up those prayers inside of us, and those prayers have tremendous power. We might be weak at it, we might be useless at it sometimes, but he isn't, and we can lean on him to lead us on that journey. And I want to end by suggesting two kind of ways of applying this, because I, I've been challenged about my own prayer life, reading these things and thinking about them. Two very practical things to implement. Firstly, when prayer is difficult, to do what the Puritans used to call praying ourselves into prayer. You see, we've already seen that the prayer can be difficult, but the Spirit can help us and partner with us. And using that imagery of the dance floor, well, if the Spirit is there as the teacher, as the dance expert, well, it actually requires us to turn up in the first place to learn. No matter how far hard we di or difficult we find it, no matter how mal-coordinated we are to begin with, the first step is simply turning up and starting to partner with him. And so it might be that when you try to pray, your very first prayer is simply to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to pray, to ask for that partnership right at the beginning, and then let him take charge. I've learned to do this over the years, just to ask the very first prayer, Holy Spirit will lead us in our prayers now. Lead me in my prayers, because I think I know what I want to pray, but actually he knows better. He knows much better. And just to start your prayer lives with that, and then listen and be led. And secondly, can I encourage you to have a bit more of a risky prayer life? Um, it's great, and it's in the Bible, and it's very important to pray the same issues over and over again until we see breakthrough. This is not to take away from that, but to add on top of it, actually, and say, can I encourage you to just throw open your prayer agenda to the leading of the Holy Spirit and see where he might take you? To throw open perhaps a couple of minutes in your prayers and say, Spirit of the living God, what do you want me to pray about? And see where you might be led. You might be led to all kinds of places. You might be led to pray for all kinds of situations that he wants to pray, that he wants to lead you in prayer in. But time and time again, when I've taken the time, I, my experience is to do that, I see the most amazing answers to prayer because I'm praying his prayers rather than mine. I encourage you just to do it this week, but next time you pray, to say, God, I've just given you my list. You know the things that I am coming to you about over and over again, but okay, what do you want me to pray about? Put it on my heart. Let those burdens be pressed down.
scary, exciting, riding the rapids. But it's a real adventure. See where he might take you. See where he might take you. Well, we're going to respond to some of these things in just a moment. Can I ask Sam and the band to come up? And as we sing this song of worship, can I encourage you to actually start to ask God right now, what does this mean for me personally? In terms of my difficulties in prayers, in terms of my own prayer life, in terms of my relationship with you, what does this mean for me? And then we're going to pray together. I invite you to stand as we sing. Lord, we ask by starting with that prayer fresh, Holy Spirit of God, lead us in our prayers. Teach us how to pray. Partner with us, we pray now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come in our midst. Come and be present. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're here. Just a sense of the gentle presence of God. I just have um, some words from Psalm 32 come to mind where David writes of God saying, I will counsel you and instruct you in the way that you should go with my eye upon you. And that might be very general, but it might be specifically about your prayer life. I will counsel you and instruct you with my eye upon you. Do not be like the horse that needs to be bridled. Otherwise it will not stay close to me. There's another sense here that um, God is asking you to become a man or woman of prayer. Um, Brother Andrew, known as God Smuggler, said one of the most dangerous prayers we can pray is, God, make me a person of prayer. And so I give that with a health warning. But maybe here you're realizing that God is asking you to be a man or woman of prayer for the sake of your family, for the sake of your friends, for the sake of the nation. He's asking you to become a person of prayer, not just something you do sometimes, but to make it a hallmark of your walk with him. And that can seem very daunting, but the Spirit of God is here to help us in those things. And Lord, I pray for those people who you are calling to be men and women of prayer. And if that's you, maybe you just want to put your hand up and say, God, that is me. I want to become a man or woman of prayer. I pray that you'd release your anointing upon them, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to empower their prayer life. Come, Spirit of God. Come, Holy Spirit. And I pray now that you'd place prayer burdens deep in their hearts, groanings for situations and for people that cannot be escaped but must find utterance in prayer. I pray that you'd instruct and lead in journeys of prayer 
that you would reveal from heaven things to pray into. You'd unlock locked situations by the leading of your spirit. And can I encourage you, if you're around these people, just to stretch out your hand, maybe just place a hand on them and just pray that God would do these things. You won't need to turn around. Lord, do these things, I pray in them. Pray. Come, Holy Spirit of God. Release those things. And for at least one person here, God will lead you into a place of praying for the lost with a deeper heart. He'll let you see just how lost the lost are. If that's you, let him do that. Let him do that. Let him give you his cry for the lost. Lord, have your way, we pray in this place. Whatever you want, Lord. However you would lead us. Come and have your way, we pray. We're yours. We're yours. Okay, I encourage you to keep on receiving. We're going to continue in our worship. God, thank you for your presence. And Lord, we give ourselves to you afresh. As we've been singing, you gave yourself for us. We give ourselves for you. Lord, as we come towards the end of our time together, Lord, we pray that the things that we've been learning, the sense of your presence with us, would not easily depart from us. We ask, Lord, that you'd seal these things by the power of your Spirit in our hearts, that we might live and walk in light of them. And if you're here and as we've been talking about prayer, you know that you need prayer for things. We want to pray for you. Uh, there's a chance to receive prayer back in the back corner or come to the front and myself and Steve and other people, we love to pray for you. Maybe the burdens have arisen as of tonight that you know that you need prayer for. And just a couple of notices. We need to have notices as always. Uh, Hungry for God this Thursday evening at eight o'clock here in church. Chance for extended prayer and worship. Encourage you to come to that. And next weekend, we have our curate arriving, another minister to join us on the team. Very exciting. And there's a welcome lunch for him. Uh, can I encourage you perhaps to sign up to bring some things along to that at the front? Sue so will be there signing people up to come and be part of that. But let me pray for us as we end. Lord, we thank you that though we are weak in prayer, though we do not know how to pray as we should, your spirit helps us in our weakness. And so we pray and ask for your help afresh as we go from this place. And now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father who loves you, the Son who saves you and redeems you, and the Spirit of God who helps us in our weakness, be upon you, 
remain upon you now and always. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.